As we tell Doreen's story, we run up against so many obstacles. You, the listener, know what they are because you're here. This week, we wanted to tell you a story about childhood sexual abuse, starting with Doreen's aunts, Debbie and Carol, and then talking to you in detail about Doreen and the role her father played in her life. We also wanted to tell you about what the Wallingford PD knows about the abuse, what they think and say about it, and the role their treatment of this very important subject has played in this almost 31-year-old investigation. That's been hard. We have so much to tell you, and we need more time to develop the telling Doreen deserves. But we need to keep talking. So Sarah and I decided I would pull some gems of audio that have struck me as we continue to dig and talk to you about them. For me, this is a very female-driven story, and I wanted to bring all of them to the table. So you'll hear from Donna, Carol, Debbie, their mother, Jane, and Doreen's sister, Stephanie. I also want to make room for the women who are gone and not here to make their voices heard. That's Roseanne, Georgia Lewis, Mark's mother, Lori, and Sharon. And we're going to talk about this intriguing group of women with Faded Out producer, Joe Aguirre. This is season two, episode 17 of Faded Out. I'm Jessica Fritz Aguirre. So, Joe, I mean, I think what I wanted to do tonight on short notice, but um, it's very important, is give the listeners a taste of all the conversation that we've had around what really amounts to hours and hours of audio and piles of documentation. Um, I want them to understand that we sit for hours and run theories and talk about facts, and it's been difficult as we try to tell the story and Sarah tries to get everything out there to the listeners to forget that there are a group of women out there who need their stories told as we try to unravel, I think, what Mark means here. For anybody following this investigation, you have to understand how much information we've gleaned from these conversations that you've had with the family where... We've gotten stories and we found out more about Mark and the way Mark operates and how we could be here 31 years later with a case unsolved. And to understand all that, you needed to understand who this guy was. And I think if there's one thing I feel that the Wallingford police have lacked, it is to have these conversations with these particular women to understand where they went wrong in their investigation, because I think as you brought this audio and as you mentioned, we sit here with Sarah at times in, in meetings and we listen for hours to this audio. This is how we've made our investigation. This is where it's really all developed from. And then it was a matter of finding evidence and following the clues. And that's where we're at. A lot of it is not even really relevant to Doreen's disappearance a lot of it is a character study. I don't really want to talk about Mark, but he rears his head in all of this audio. A lot of it is really difficult to listen to. Last night as I prepped this, Joe, and we pulled all the audio, I mean, a lot of it is hard to listen to. So I thought I would start with something lighthearted, which is uh, the night I went to bingo with Donna. This is me meeting her at the door of her favorite bingo hall, 
on Rubber Road. Okay. Okay. Rubber Avenue. Yeah. <laughs> I know, huh? Yeah, definitely. So you get here early, huh? We get here early because there's usually like a lot of people. Yeah. Leading that she, we said she saved our seat. Oh, funny at Bengal. Very territorial. Oh, that's what I hear. And the pens and everything. In the what? The pens and stuff. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. 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 There's Carol. Yeah. Hi. It's How good are to you? See you? Can I get you a hug? Good to see you. How are you doing? Good. Okay. Are you? Good. Thanks. Hi. Hello. <laughs> she doing her makeup? Switch. Huh? She doing her makeup? I'm doing my eyebrows. So I got there to Rubber Avenue. Yes. Sorry. I got there. It feels like a million years ago. It was January 16th. It was a Friday and I had just gone to the Danbury Courthouse to get the trial exhibits for Mark's gun trial in 91. Just like everything I dig up, I was shaking as I looked at the evidence and as I left there. And I called Donna and I said, Donna, I really need to talk to you right now. I'd met this poor woman the week before. I said, Donna, I have information I want to give you. And she said, oh, um, I'm at my daughter's house in Naugatuck right now. I said, that's fine. I can come there if, you know, if I'm invited. And she said, we're going to bingo. And I said, oh, I like bingo. I mean, Joe, you know, I kind of like to invite myself places. You don't like bingo and you do like to invite yourself places. And that worked out well. No, I love bingo. Bingo, and I haven't played in forever. I mean, I don't remember you ever playing bingo. Well, because I'm <laughs> not. Well, I was going to say because I'm of a certain age, but Stephanie loves it. She goes with her mom every single week. And Carol, they sit with a guy named Al. And you'll hear Donna correct me. I called it the bingo pen. It's not a pen. It's a dauber. This is the life that these women have created. They've been able to carve out after something terrible happened to them. They love each other. They bring snacks. I mean, they were absolutely wonderful with each other and they invited me in, which I thought was really cool. They do play bingo, like I said, with a man named Al and um, Al joined us at the table. I don't know if you guys have played bingo recently, but the women, like Donna said, are very territorial. They're very hawk-eyed about someone new being in their midst. This is sort of what the reaction was when people saw this new woman come to bingo. What made you venture out into the bingo world today? Me? Talking to these guys. I find a whole bunch of... Had nothing better to do? This is what I do now, I guess. Bingo? <laughs> yeah, bingo. <laughs> hey, that's a pretty fun job, you know. No, I, I had... Don't, don't be quiet. I had somewhere to go to look up some stuff for these ladies that I wanted to see and that I wanted them to see, and I realized as I was driving... Time to play? I'm going to go see my friend Donna. Then I found out Carol and Stephanie were coming. And you still came? And I still came. <laughs> I can't stand him. No, you know why I came? Because I heard Debbie wasn't going to be here. No, I'm just kidding. Don't tell me. <laughs> Debbie is my other sister. She's great. You guys are all awesome. We tried. So the reason Donna tells me Debbie doesn't go to bingo, and she's right. Debbie's not a good sitter stiller. And Debbie's like a shark, always moving forward. She doesn't really take time to, you know, well, she relaxes, but it's it's helping us with this. I think in this next clip, you'll hear that it can get a little rough at bingo. I can't even, I got food in my mouth. I can't shush them. Quiet. <laughs> oh, and he has to add them on it. How come they don't get shushed? (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh, man. <laughs> you didn't Jeez. know you were coming to such a volatile yeah, situation. Yeah, I didn't know I was going to get in a fight in the park. Wait till the caller gets it wrong. Oh, oh my God. Oh, my God. I mean, Joe told me to be safe. I don't think he knew what I was in for. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't mean at the game. The lady at the end of the table. Yeah. She told me you one night follow. she got into a fight outside the park. <laughs> <laughs> you know, these women are crazy. There are some women that were sitting there knitting. I think one woman had her dog. I mean, it was just such a relaxed, cool environment, but there were still women shouting at us to be quiet. And I was apologetic, but Stephanie now shouted them down. There's some serious players there, I would assume. Serious players. I went to get my tickets and Donna was helping me buy my tickets and she said uh how many squares do you think you can play i said i don't know two four and donna's like i'm gonna get you three tickets of four each and that's you know but they play like eight or nine of those suckers so while it might be a little antagonistic in that respect it's nice to hear them just being able to relax and be with each other and enjoy the time together oh, 63. Oh, 63. whoa Wow, yeah, yeah. that was rough. Like that. Who, me? No, I'm her. Him. Stephanie is very rude. How yeah. old are you? 40. I, I You're 40? God, I got you know, every, every time you see something rude, that and is very passive-aggressive. Passive-aggressive. Passive millennials are passive-aggressive. Oh, my God. <laughs> She's 48. You say that every time. Just because you say that doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. So yeah, so I was born in 78. Joe was born in 75. Oh, okay. Yep. I'm older. You're older? You act too. No, you're not. Are you 48? You're 48. He's 48. That's right. That's for long. 49. Where does it go? I'm going to be 60 Thursday. On, thir- on the 24th, right? On the 24th, I'm 60. Oh, you're a Pisces? No, I'm a Aquarius. Oh, I almost made it. Does that mean, do you follow your sign thing? No. I just well, know I read I'm my horoscope. Right I'm a little bit. You don't read your horoscope? I look at it, but I don't believe it. I don't believe it, but I read it. I read it. I would read it. I'd like to see a five-star day. I don't want to see no two-star day. A day is what you make it out. That's Donna's take on stuff. She just has had to create a life devoid of Doreen where she is a loving wife and mother, aunt and grandmother and it's hard for people who want to cast aspersions on Donna because she somehow moved on with her life or maybe wasn't the perfect mother. You know, none of us are. But as I say that, I need to be fair and take a little bit of responsibility for some of the shit that I might have talked about Sharon in the beginning. It's hard to give Sharon credit where credit is due. She's not here to speak her piece to tell us what she was thinking. Yeah, but all we have was initially the statements that you came up with, and those statements didn't tell the full story. And and so you get what you have, and and you make your, your assumptions based off of that. And the more you're able to sort of deep dive into who Sharon was and what Sharon's situation was, it certainly changes perspective a little bit. But I think in the very beginning, I knew Sarah and Paul's name. I saw them as a two- and three-year-old who weren't accounted for in the interviews whatsoever. But I think as I 
thought about Sharon as a character, it always struck me that she was an adult in that house where a little girl disappeared. I want to blame Mark, right? Like I want to be angry at Mark, but you look at the woman in that situation, you say to yourself, what more could this woman have done? Why did you, and, and remind me why you missed visitation with her the weekend before? I don't know. Maybe because they were moving? Yeah. I don't know. That's all I can Did you ever get the sense he was it trying wasn't... to keep you away from her? No. Okay. All right, no worries. Okay. That's my mother, I know it is. Yeah. My mother, yeah. I knew it. Because I haven't talked to her It's adorable. It's adorable. Um. Yeah, we can talk some more, you know, SHIT about Sharon now, too. Why is she taking the kids outside when anything bad goes, when anything Thank bad you. happens? Thank you. Bad stuff keeps happening, and she just All keeps, right. like... Weird. Yeah. Very strange. Like, wouldn't you... Why wouldn't you endure being? Because it wasn't her daughter, so she didn't give a shit. That's sick, yeah. I'm just yeah. saying, it she's is sick. I, I agree that so it's sick. I mean, a child's a child, and you're a mother, you should understand that, but... Your husband to abuse a child. Yeah. Mason, are you done? You know what else really bothered me was when you guys showed up, and Donna was trying to ask where Doreen was. And Sharon says, it's in that, I think. I didn't, I stayed out of the way because I needed to get my kids to bed. Bed, it was daytime. It was Saturday morning. Oh, it says 7 p.m. in the statements. Not when we came to pick her up. No, we went the next morning on Saturday morning. Donna, when did you go to pick her up on Saturday? In the morning. In the morning. Sometime, yeah. Early morning. He was sitting in the sun. This here says in the evening, but it wasn't. No. Because I remember you calling me by the evening and telling me. So let me cue this up for you a little bit. This is Donna's 60th birthday on January 24th of this year. I went to her house. You got invited to that. I did get invited. You didn't invite yourself to it. Well, oh God, maybe a little. So I think it's really telling that at the beginning of that clip, which is about Sharon, really, we were sitting around the table and I'm asking Donna, I think the question that a lot of people want to know is, when's the last time you saw your daughter? Why did you miss visitation? Because a man here is responsible or knows what happened to Doreen, but people are still asking questions of these women all these years later. Well, it's interesting, too. Everybody says, what was Sharon doing getting the kids out of the house? Well, she was protecting two kids. And I'm wondering if at that point there was no saving the third kid. You know what I mean? Again, you like to think that just being a mom, she would have been protective of all the children. But again, if you know who Mark is and what Mark's about, it might be a situation where you, you grab who you can get out of there and go. Well, when I talked to anybody about Mark in the beginning, it was Donna who just said, you know, screw him. Who cares about him? He doesn't scare me. I don't I didn't want him in my life. I kicked him out of my life. After the birthday, I was able to talk to Laura West, and she told me her take on Sharon, Doreen, Paul, and Sarah whenever Mark was around. She said she never saw Mark explode, but it was clear that the four of those people lived in terror of him because there was always the sense that they could hear a pin drop that something Joe was going to happen. Well, I think when you're in that kind of situation, you can feel tension in the room. And I've certainly had friends in my life who had strict parents and, and you could tell they were being a little more delicate, not quite the person who I knew in front of that person. So you could certainly tell when when there's whatever you want to call it. But you mean like with a it's a situational thing, you know, it's maybe the mom and dad got into a fight a short time before you arrive. But when we talk about Mark, we talk about a guy who put glass in a woman's bed 
so she wouldn't have sex with other men. We talk about a man who surprised a woman on a date by putting a nylon on his head. We talk about a man who put snakes in a woman's drawer. I mean, we're not talking about a nice person. And I forget that Sharon was this man's wife and had three children to protect. One of the things that the listeners don't know, Joe, that I asked detective number three recently, one of my objective questions was, did Sharon see the argument? Did she see the shoving into the window or the paddling or anything like that? And he said he would have asked deeper questions, but the statement on record is that she saw something. Maybe she saw something start to happen, but the cops at the time didn't follow through with what she actually witnessed. I don't think she was ever going to offer up any information that she thought would jeopardize herself or Paul and Sarah. And it's unfortunate, and maybe in hindsight, she'd like to do it all over again, but I really think she did what she thought in the moment might have been best. Again, I have to apologize to the listeners for maybe jumping ahead. I understand passion wants to take you there, but, you know, Sharon's a difficult character. Sharon had two children she needed to protect and you know there's a lot of silence around her what wife has her husband walk through the door at three o'clock in the morning the driver is over here say, right where have you sure. been did yeah. you find her what the hell drove you around to the bank she knew she knew yeah you don't ask questions you know guys know that when they called oj in chicago to tell him ron and nicole were murdered he didn't ask how yeah like I mean, you, that's what i'm saying like, you don't need to talk to him you don't right. need to say anything. you don't need to say anything yeah to me that's so odd. If my husband walked through the door at three o'clock in the morning, no matter where the hell he told me he was going, I have a thousand and one questions. He told for you him. that he went to look for his missing right. daughter. Right. I have a thousand questions. Exactly. I didn't this go to sleep the house because still. I've been sitting by the window too, waiting for you to come too. home. Me too. There's so many questions and there's so much odd about this story, but you know, as much as people want to blame Donna or they want to blame Sharon for what happened, let's talk about the guy we're really talking about in this female centric episode episode let's let these women's voices tell the story of mark vincent and what he's like i mean we've all done stupid things like like that but when it's a continuous thing it's a continuous well but like we talked about it bingo like he's got a, it's all different crimes too right exactly. it's not like that one crime he does it all the time it's like eight different crimes do you were you guys married when he was in prison for burglary or was it before yes that? we had yes. just got so Doreen was a baby and he was in prison. She born. Okay. And he was in prison? Yep. Was he in prison when she was born? No. They let him out on... Good behavior? No, because I was pregnant, they let her out. Oh. He wrote a letter to the judge and the judge... No one can That's not a good bullshitter, huh? I love Stephanie at the end there. He's a good bullshitter, huh? If Stephanie had questions, a thousand I'd answer all of them. She's a tough character. She is a tough character. I love her to death. She is great. Well, she needs to be. I mean, it's it's unfair. The, 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 the first time I saw Stephanie in the story, she was a five-year-old girl sitting in the back of a car hearing her mother and aunt raise their voices about he must have done something. It just goes to show, though, how Mark is able to manipulate everybody. A judge, all these women... Whomever, that's just kind of what he does. They let him out of jail for a crime because his daughter was born. And ironically, it would be a daughter whose life he would ultimately ensure 
was not for long. No, allegedly. You allegedly. have to say allegedly. Well, uh, uh, she was in his possession when it happened, and he's responsible for whatever happened to her, regardless of whether allegedly he did something or not. That, that's besides the point. She was in his care at that point. So it, uh, if somebody swooped up and grabbed in the middle of the night, he's still responsible for her, though. A lot of people recently have been questioning, you know, why he still works at Teen Challenge, which we found out with the help of listeners is the particular outfit that he works with and for is not teenage based. It's all adults. But a lot of us have come, a lot of people have come with the question of how can he work there without some sort of background check? He's, you know, a child molester. He's a child murderer. And I say, well, to all of those things, allegedly, Debbie and Carol never filed a report. There was never a report for Doreen's abuse, which we'll touch on in the next episode. There's nothing on the books about that. The fire is another thing. You know what really pissed me off in like an article that I saw? It says, um, you know, Lori Vincent says she and her son are estranged. And it's not because of Doreen's disappearance. It's because of something else. And Joe's like, what else could it, what do you, you, do you know what it was about? He just was a, a constant problem. He was like a real problem child in her life. And I'm not really sure. It would have been even more than that. But Mark was in and out of trouble all his life. Let's get a little more background on that. Well, I was just going to say, you know, yeah, I had said what could have possibly happened after Doreen vanished that that was what did it for his mom to be like all right we're done yeah but Debbie says uh and we'll get into this a little bit more he's been like that his entire life but his mom was talking to him before Doreen and then he was she was still talking to him and then something even worse happened I'm not sure I understand Okay, well, how about, <laughs> remember that he went to her home on Father's Day, June 18th after Doreen went missing. Now, here's what I've always said about that. I don't know where Doreen was at the time. I don't know what Mark or anyone else had done with her, but Mark went to his mother's house for Father's Day. He also went to Georgia Lewis's house that day as well. And those two places are outliers on Huntington State Park which continues to dog me to this day. What was he doing? He was trying to create an alibi, Joe? I mean, tell me what he was doing. Well, I'm not sure because this is the day after Donna has shown up at the house, uh, Donna and, and, and Carol. So I don't know what he was doing on Sunday or, or what he would be attempting to do. I do know he obviously didn't mention anything to anybody at that point, which was weird, but... I'll never understand exactly what was happening there. I, 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 I've thought a lot about it. I've got some different thoughts, but we'll figure it out someday, I, I hope. I think it's just, I just listen to this. Just listen to the interaction between Mark and Lori on Father's Day in 1988. Joe said before that he had heard that the snap piece thing was about she was trying to bait him into saying something. Right. No. Yeah, because you had talked to her. You told Sharon. I... Yeah, and you Lori. said, please, yeah, Lori. Yeah, Lori, Lori, Lori. Mm. Who did I say, Sharon? Yeah, yeah. Lori, the mom. Because you called her and I you did. told her, do I not did. tell him I talked to you. He... She said she wouldn't say anything. She didn't. And she didn't. She was pretty good. And she even called her back and told her. Yeah, he knows right. something. How long after she was missing was that? It was, an, it was four days. days. Yeah. Four and days. you said, don't say anything? And she didn't. Why do you think she didn't say anything? Because she watched his body movement, she baited him to say, you know, that Doreen was missing, and he never told her. And when she called back, she said, 
he knows. That was the first thing she said. He knows where she is. He's not worried about anything at all because he knows. His own mother said that. His mother said he knows where she is. She said, I watched his body movements, his muscles, his face. I baited him. Nothing. Yeah, she said he place. knows where she is. I watched his, his mother. She said he knows what happened to her. He, he knows and he's not worried about anything. He knows. And that was um, Father's Day. That was Father's Day because it was um, Georgia too. Yeah, and in Georgia yeah. too. We went to Georgia the house. same day. You guys went to Georgia's house? The first time I ever saw Georgia. Yeah. We went to her house and yeah, and we talked to her. How'd she strike you, Carol? Georgia? Yeah. Concerned. She looked concerned. Well, they knew Doreen too. You yeah, know, yeah. they they knew Doreen. I mean, yeah. Georgia knew Doreen, yeah. and we we knew Georgia a little bit because um, we used to go fishing over by Sunset Hill Park. You know, here and there, we we knew her a little bit, not a lot. He worked for her a long time though. He did a lot of stuff. I was thinking about that $100 hamper and stuff. That just oh, yeah. seems At weird. She had money. I know, Work but... Workout money, and so did Cal. They, they, they both have But money. you don't... I don't care how much money you have. That doesn't mean you pay $100 for a hamper. Well, he would hand-build it. Like, uh, he, would, oh. he would be, uh, um... Uh, made of wood. He was a carpenter, and it, it was a, a lasting, lifelong hamper that she would have had, you know? Did you ever talk to Lori after that? I don't remember ever talking to her again. I don't. Did you? She never tried to call me. I don't think I ever called her. But you know, just to, you know, he he did end up living at her house, and that's where they found the gun. So as much as she disliked no, him, Sharon. I keep saying her. Lori, yeah, Lori. I keep yeah. saying Sharon. It's Lori. His mother's house. He lived at his mother's house when they found that gun. I don't know if he was living with it. He was. He was. That was actually a whole... said, that's my gun. That's the only reason they got him. And you know what? There were other guns there that Lori actually claimed. Yeah, they were hers. There's so much we need to dig out of that discussion. First, I guess Mark didn't live at Lori's because he was with Teresa Lyon. Our friend Teresa Lyon. Our friend Teresa Lyon and Roseanne Poloni, who I think you'll remember, she is only a character in this because he burned her clothes in a fire pit and they found him for that very reason. But when Mark went to Lori's, I don't know why he was there, but him not telling her that Doreen was missing that day takes on so much more of a visceral image the more I talk to those women. Lori was a real avid gardener and she really prized her vegetables and her plants. And I remember that was one of the ways that I actually came to believe that Teresa was telling me the truth because Mark brought her over to meet Lori and to look at the plants. And Frank IML, when he went to collect money for that blue car that Mark stole, said, oh, she was she had all these plants. I mean, she was very meticulous about her plants. I mean, that was Lori's thing. So Debbie later told me, I didn't realize this at the time, that they were out in Lori's garden when this conversation took place. And Mark had his shirt off and was working with her in the garden. So when she's looking at his muscles and his body language and all that, Lori knew at the time that Doreen was missing. And Mark said nothing. I've been accused of speculating or suggesting that Mark did it. If people want to know where I've come to that conclusion, well, his own mother was pretty certain and was trying to bait him and offered him snap, snap peas, peas 
to give to Doreen in hopes that he would be like, well, I, I don't I don't know where she is. She ran away. Because it would have been nice if he would have used that same line that he gave everybody else that she ran away. But here he was with his mother and then with Georgia Lewis and didn't even acknowledge anything about Doreen. A flicker of emotion might have been really nice. You can hear Carol in that audio say he would have been flipping out. Remember, he ran after Doreen that time that she hitchhiked to her mother's. And we're going to tell you more about more times when Mark flipped out when Doreen wasn't where she should have been with who she should have been. But... Isn't it strange that you would go to your mother's house on Father's Day, not say anything, and then accept a snack that your mother gave that your daughter loved and not say, it doesn't make any sense, Joe. Explain that. No, I don't think you want me to explain that because it, it won't be good and it'll come with a lot of allegedly's. It is weird. I mean, you know, generally in your life, when all the chips are stacked against you, if there's one person you can go and, and bear all to and confide anything in, it's your mama. So surprising that he wouldn't even have mentioned it or didn't even try to offer an alternative as to where his daughter was on Father's Day. It's hard to sit here and speculate when Mark's not talking and Lori has passed away as to what type of relationship they had. Clearly it was strained, but we have to always remember the kind of person in Mark Vincent that we're talking about. So he's writing you guys letters from prison. Yes. Yeah, when we were younger. He's writing you personally? Yeah, yeah. Daddy. Yeah, he used to write everybody a letter. And get his yeah. letter. And... Yeah, my... Jason, you ready? Oh, okay. I'm giving him a plate. Oh. What was he when he was in prison for burglary? Burglary. Oh, I think he burned down the White House. The White Horse. The White Horse. The White Horse. The White Horse in New York. Yeah. That's what he was originally in prison. Why did he burn down a bar? He probably got mad at somebody there. Who knows? I don't know why he did it. That was kind of before. Here, I think it might even have been around the time Donna and him were getting together. Thank you. He burglarized Dom. Wasn't that like a car or something? He burglarized the payphone. He burned down the bar. He burglarized the payphone. Oh, yeah, he did that too. He burglarized the payphone. Yeah, he robbed the payphone. He's a ridiculousness of robbing a payphone okay a lot of people want to know these days why if mark's an arsonist why isn't that on his uh formal rap sheet and you think you know why well he was a juvenile he did it so okay in 1975 when doreen was born i think he was 19 years old right donna says he did it before they got together and before she was born um you hear the women speculating about why someone might burn down a bar they get mad at someone Teresa filled in those details for me very nicely she's so amazing Teresa told me that uh, Mark burned down the White Horse Bar in upstate New York because he was angry that one of the waitresses was being sexually harassed at work the waitress being his girlfriend and the manager not doing anything about it so how do you take out your anger on an unresponsive manager burn down the bar. That's Mark's take. Mark can be a little extreme in his reactions. I think Mark, and again, I've talked to Mark and, and I've had plenty of exchanges with Mark at this point that Mark truly believes like he's the good guy. Like Mark, in Mark's telling of his own life story, he's the hero and everybody 
is against him. Is it just being the good guy or is it just having no response to stuff? Because you would think there'd be some flicker of emotion when you're with Lori. You would think there'd be some flicker of emotion now. And there's just really not. I mean, I don't care about someone robbing a payphone. I do care about burning down a bar. That was, you know, God, almost 50 years ago. So, but let's focus on the person we have. He's very reactive and he is prone to... I guess temper tantrums, outbursts, uh, how do you, but throwing things at people, it fits of rage. That's a marked staple. We've heard that from people um, recently. Um, one thing that really struck me from my talking to Frank IML is that, you know, Mark used to throw hammers at work or a toolbox, and he's not throwing them at a person. He's throwing that indiscriminately because he's pissed. Again, this has nothing to do with Doreen, but it puts me in the, the mindset of what kind of person was Doreen living with? What kind of things did Doreen see? What kind of parent was Mark? Mark has no regard for anybody else. And again, throwing hammers indiscriminately suggests you're in my world. And if you get hit with a hammer, you shouldn't have been standing there. So Mark entered Jane Murad's world um, a while back when he started dating her daughter, Donna. Um, I had the opportunity to speak with Jane, I think it was back in February, and she had a lot to talk about. I'm sure you have a thousand questions you'd like to ask of me. I do. So Jane's brother-in-law passed away recently. That was her husband's brother. She was up in Connecticut for a very short time. I wasn't able to see her. To be quite honest, I think at the time the family was a little bit rankled at us because we were pushing the Had and Clark runaway thing in the beginning of this season a little bit too much. And they wanted us to come to the table with what we thought about Mark based on what they had told us. Well, that's a reasonable thing. But again, part of the investigation was to eliminate other suspects, any other alternative theories, so we could figure out exactly who to look at. And there were no clues beyond the Haddon Clark rumor, whatever he claimed that he had something to do with it. But you had to look at it. And, and we certainly did that. Well, Sarah always says this is a very limited universe of what happened here. Um, we just recently looked at the Charlie Project uh, write-up on Doreen, and it talks about she was last seen on this date wearing this, and she's a runaway. I want you to listen to Jane and just know how long this person has been who he is. He was, he was strange. He had strange behavior. I mean, I mean, really strange. And then I was up there, and I went up there. It was a short time after I went up there, and he was out in the backyard. He was sunning himself. I think these women are all still struggling with Mark seeming like a perfect saint when you talk to him. This guy terrorized people. He's a good-looking guy, and you don't generally expect people who are attractive to be sociopathic in their behavior. And he did a, he terrorized these people for a long time, and then the Doreen thing happened. Uh, Jane was there when her daughter got pregnant, you know, by an 18-year-old at 15. Three years is not a big difference, but I think when you're 15 and 18, it is. And Is that even legal? Uh, I mean, I don't think that if she had known, D Jane didn't know what to do with what she was presented with. I think she just wasn't ready for the chaotic force that Mark was going to be in her life and, and maybe still is. I formed this like, at my, you know, at myself when I thought about it and I said, you know, he had to do something that was stupid. 
something stupid. You know, I caught him. He was cheating on my daughter, and I caught him. I caught him, and, and I was scared of him because, and I ran out, and it, it happened on a phone call. I picked up the phone. We had like two upstairs and a downstairs phone, and I picked up the phone, and I heard him talking to somebody that he shouldn't have been talking to. Mm-hmm. And um, I listened for a little bit, and he knew I was on the phone, and he came running upstairs, and I ran out the door. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, was, I was scared of him because I knew what he would have done to me. I, I'm almost positive. I'm sure he would have clobbered me in some way, but I just got out of the house, mm-hmm. and he was never, and I just, that's, that's what happened. And that, so I kind of was afraid of him. Well, here's After a- that, I just, I knew I could never trust him, and I knew that. Here's one thing that we've really, you know, and and maybe you can shed some light on this a little bit. You know, everybody's scared of him, right? I mean, I'm scared of the guy now. Like I, I don't blame you. I he's look, really, he's very strong for one thing. I don't know if he still is. I mean, he was very strong at the time. He could, you know, pick up anything and lift you over your head. Okay. You know, he was very strong for. Although he was tall and thin and wiry, he was very very strong. So, okay, why we were afraid? Yeah. I don't know. I think, I, I don't know. I think if we called the police or something, I, I don't know what he would have done. I probably would have, I'm sure he would have done something violent to us, I'm sure. Donna says he never laid a hand on her. And all the other, so I've talked to a couple women that Mark knows, you know, romantic relationships, whatever. Never laid a hand, but he would do things to intimidate and to frighten. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like, he'd come up driving his car like a maniac and step on a brake and squeal it. You know, like, um, he's like like a raving maniac. Yep. And then walk in the house like it was nothing. Put yourself in that room with Doreen right now, Joe. She's gone. The only person who has anything to say about it is Mark. He's walking around like nothing ever happened. Here he is driving at a high rate of speed like a maniac. Teresa Lyon has a story like that, and I believe Donna had a story like that as well. Donna did have a story like that. I mean, again, Mark, we're not trying to cast dispersions on your character, but we're trying to piece together what made you the person who can walk around in the world like nothing ever happened. Did something? What happened, Mark? Maybe he just has a need for speed sometimes. <sighs> Again, I'm joking. He, it's a, an intimidation thing. It's what he does. It's what Mark always does. Mark always wants to be in control. He wants to keep you in fear of him. That's his whole plot. We just found out because the police had me come in and speak to them. In 2003, I guess he thought, Mark thought he was terminally ill. And he had his lawyer call up the state's attorney's office and say he wanted to give them information on um, Doreen. But he wanted immunity for it. And the state refused to give him immunity. So he said, screw it, I'm not talking. To me, that says he'll say what he wants to say, but only when he's in control of the situation. You got it. Right? Yeah. He's he's really, he's slick. It's about the control factor. And I think I was wrong in that clip when I said, you know, he wanted to say what he did to her. I don't know if he did something to her. He knows what happened to her as i said before she was in his care at that point in time had been with him for some time and then suddenly was gone without a trace off the face of the earth so allegedly or whatever you want to say she's gone he didn't look for her or call the police so you got some explaining to do. I think there's so much more to it than that. We talked about the lock on the door last week. 
how he's been stressing out about the lock on the door. I think the listeners can can figure out who might have had a key to a lock on a door of a house that he owned. Um, I think that we need to talk about the barn being torn down. You know, Laura West recently told me it, it just wasn't a good building to have on the property anymore. Those are little things that I start to hear and I start to think, what does that mean? But it's the words of these women that get you there as to who this man is and what he might know. He definitely knows something because he certainly wouldn't have in 2003 wanted to talk to prosecutors if he didn't have anything to say. So there, there must be something. What it is or how responsible he might be in the big picture here, we don't really know. When I started talking to Jane, she said, yeah, I told her about the I'll see her in glory comment. And Jane said, oh, w- what is that supposed to mean? She knew exactly what it meant. Mark knows that she is gone. The how and why is the question that we need to answer. I want to remind everybody that Mark loved his daughter, too, or so he says. But I'm not really sure what kind of love we're talking about. You've known him for a really, really long time because you were, I mean, did you come into contact with him when Donna became pregnant or did you know him before that? Were they dating for a while before that? Well, they dated a short time and then she got pregnant. And then, uh, yeah, it wasn't very long. I think he really, I think Donna was his first love and that's it. I mean, I don't know if there's anything after after her. I mean, he's just been through a lot of relationships, but I kind of think she was his idol and that was it, you know? Yeah. And, and Doreen was his idol also, but I think he was, I think he just was doing things to her and we just didn't know. It's really hard to listen to. That's a really bold statement to make again these are the people who were around the situation and and they all think there was a lot going on here that there's so much more to this story to tell why does everybody feel that way because these are the people who knew mark best these are the people who showed up at the house and were like hey where's doreen and he had really nothing to tell anybody i want to bring back something that debbie was talking about earlier and that's the letters that mark sent from prison that's been his thing for a really long time even after he was molesting these two girls, allegedly based on Carol and Debbie's statements. Can I just point out real quick, too, though, that testimony from a witness is evidence. Yeah, we're not talking about hearsay, guys. I'm being very careful to say allegedly because there's been no police report made and no conviction. But I believe Carol and Debbie. They're very forthright people. Me, too. He was sending them letters. This is a person who sexually abused two young girls, went to prison for various things, and was writing these girls letters after the fact. And Mark's letters to girls will come up in a different episode. But I don't think Jane really knew what to do. I don't think she knew what she was up against. I sheltered my daughters, you know. I, I didn't want them to do go out and do stuff. You know, she was, she was, she was a sneak out, so <laughs> that made it hard for me. Right. And I made it, that's why she got, so where she got in trouble, you know. I don't know. I, I suppose, I, I don't know how to explain it, but she, and then she got pregnant with this, this schmuck. Yeah. The nutcase. And Doreen, when she had Doreen, Doreen is an absolutely beautiful girl. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have no idea how beautiful she was. She had blue eyes and black hair. She was gorgeous and white, white skin. It's hard to believe how pretty she was. Yeah. And I can see why he was really 
uh, affected by her, you know, because she was a beautiful girl. Yeah, he, he had, I think he has light eyes, too. I don't think he, I think he has blue eyes, too. I think someone said blue eyes, yeah. Um, he is, yeah. She looked like him. She did not look like Donna. Okay. I don't think she did. So he was a very good-looking man. I mean, he was very, he was extremely good-looking. He could have been a movie star. That's how good-looking he was. Mm-hmm. But his personality was like a, that much of a pea. I asked you last mm-hmm. night, Joe, as I played that, and I love these women. What is his personality was like that of a pea? What did I? What does it mean? I thought a prick. Maybe that's what she meant. I guess. I don't know what else a P would be. He could have been a movie star. You know what I'm saying? And instead, we're sitting here on a Saturday night talking about what all these women have to tell us about Mark Vincent and who he was as a person and what he might know about what happened to that beautiful little girl. The story of your life is told by other people. And the story of Mark's life would not be, I don't think it would be a story he'd really want to hear. Well, I'm glad we're telling Doreen's now. You know, I get I get so much feedback from the listeners, you know, people messaging me privately about what this means to them. You know, I'm in it with you guys, too. I'm I'm there with you, too. I'm feeling every emotion you guys probably have. um, And you're bringing more to my door every day. And I appreciate that. I think it's time to dig in. I think it's time to, you know, Keep this story moving. Keep the momentum going. Tell people that you know. Ask them what they think might have happened because it's it's only until we can probably find her. Right, Joe? We need to find her. That certainly would help if we had a location. I think that's what uh, a certain police organization is just sort of sitting on and hoping that we'll bring to the table. I'd like to extend, as I normally do on this podcast, I'd like to extend an invitation to Mark. You got my number, man. If you uh, you want to talk, I know you obviously have been listening. You got a lot to say about the podcast. Love to have you on. We would love to talk to you about all of these things. Jimmy Farnham, if you're out there, certainly love to hear from you again. Have some, we have some follow-ups. We do have some follow-ups. I do want to say thank you to the women that continue to let me into their home, into the bingo hall, to their birthday parties. Uh, again, I talk to Debbie Pereira just about every day. I talk to Teresa Lyon just about every day. You know, there's a whole crew of people on Doreen's side. And I guess if your story is going to get told by other people, then I'm glad it's being told by all of us. So thanks for listening. And uh, we'll see you next time.